Hey, Ben, would you like to know how to navigate working remotely and leading people remotely? I'd love to. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday Habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday. All right, it's Friday, and we have an amazing guest on our show, David Burkus is uh, on the Friday habit to talk to us about leading from anywhere and working remotely. And David, if you don't know, is one of the world's leading business thinkers. Uh, Forward thinking ideas and best-selling books are helping leaders and teams do their best work ever. Uh, He's a former business school professor. Uh, He holds a master's degree in organizational psychology from the University of Oklahoma and a doctorate in strategic leadership from Regent University. So this guy is a complete expert, obviously, by his bio. Um, And he recently released a book called uh, Leading From Anywhere. David, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah. David, so good to have you on. And now I feel like a complete idiot for asking this question. With all your credentials, you know, (laughs) I'm going to ask you a really important question that i really like to know the answer to. Uh, Would you rather begin every sentence with, hey, idiot, or end every (laughs) sentence with, ha ha, I was just kidding? (laughs) that's a tough one (laughs) hey idiots i think that's an obvious one you come off way nicer when you end a sentence with haha i was just kidding (laughs) do you like that i got them both together wow well done (laughs) that was was solid i've got i've got one more for you this one's slightly related to our topic um and mark you can answer this too okay uh would you rather have an office where you could wear pajamas to work every day or work in the office of your dreams I mean, the office of my, my dreams is one. I'm wearing pajama pants right now <laughs> as we're recording this. And that, that is the office of, of my dreams. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely cooler office spaces that would be fun to work at. But I, would, I don't think I'd trade them for pajama pants. Like I said, I, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> That's amazing. So basically, both of my would-you-rathers, you said both to both of them. It wasn't like one was Dude, worse than the other. that's that doctor like, well, no, degree I mean, so, that he so, has. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what we academics do. Like, well, yes, those things that seemed opposed could also be reconciled. But I mean, in actuality, I'm sorry, let me let me be a little more clear. Pajama pants. Totally. I just think that's a requirement for the office of my dream. But no, totally. If I had to pick pajama pants. I appreciate the clarity. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I I too uh, can record my pajama pants if I would like to. Uh, But um, I, I don't know. I mean, imagine if you worked at, at some place like Tesla or Apple headquarters or something like that. It seems like pretty sweet there, you know. But now in this day and age, right? You work from anywhere. What's the point of going into an office? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, yes. Uh, and, and, and I will say for those of you that are, are headed back to the office whenever this great work from home experiment is over or working in an office now, the, the last thing I discovered the last time I had to work in a, in a real office, I actually went an entire semester wearing nothing but Lululemon dress pants and nobody called me on it, right? Like basically <laughs> they felt like workout shorts, but they looked like dress pants as long as you were like three <laughs> feet away from me and nobody noticed. 
Um, so there's <laughs> there's my tip for you that are that are office bound. There you go, office hacks with David Burgess. <laughs> right, right. But anyway, uh, there you go. Um, but but you're exactly right. In fact, the two companies that you mentioned are, are have made pretty big pronouncements about the future of how they're going to handle their uh, their office environments, and basically whether or not you're there is kind of optional for at least you know the next year, but probably into the foreseeable future. I mean, it, I, I don't think anyone, when we all started working remotely in you know March 2020, I don't think anybody expected it to last this long, right? Here in the United States, we called it 15 days to slow the spread. What are we on, like 321 yeah. days at this point? Right, <laughs> point. yeah, it's crazy. Um, right, and so nobody really expected that, but you, you don't send tens of millions of people to work from home. You don't send your whole team to work from home for almost a year and then be like, okay, let's come on back. It's, it's just not going to happen. People did things in the interim to learn how to be more productive uh, working from home or working from a lot of different spaces. They rebuilt their life that's a lot more flexible than the traditional sort of nine to five. And, you know, a, a lot of agencies in those sort of places have done a great job with that prior to the pandemic, but we're headed for a greater level of that flexibility. And so if, you, if you're expecting for people to come back to the nine to five Monday through Friday, it, it's not gonna happen. The reality is that some people will want to come back to that. Other people will wanna go half seas maybe, right? There's talk about what they call the three, two, two, three days on, two days from home, two days of weekend. Um, but a lot of people are gonna want to replicate their pandemic work lifestyle because after the initial stress and burnout, they put together something that was working. And if, if it's working, especially if they're your top talent, why disrupt that? Why not just learn how to lead them from wherever they are, which is, you know, I'm biased. That's why we called the book Leading From Anywhere, because the future of work is people working from anywhere. Some in the office, some at home, some from a co-working space that's on a more convenient part of the city than the actual office. And we need to be flexible and we need to allow for that. And if we do, we'll probably get people working better than if they had to suffer through the office. I mean, there's a reason Dilbert is like the number one comic strip of all time, right? <laughs> right. And you want people to go back to Dilbert? No, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Well, man, I'm excited to talk more about that topic, about, you know, working from home, how to be productive, um, and then leading from home, how to be a, a leader who can uh, manage a team effectively and inspire people and whatnot. But I really, I want to get to know you better. You know, I found um, you off of uh, some Googling that I was doing. I, I, I probably like many people uh, have a team and just want to be a great boss and I want to be a great leader. And, um, you know, my team members felt more comfortable working from home. And so I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, half of our clients actually are, are still working from home. So it's hard for me to say, Oh, you need to be in the office when all of our clients are mostly working from home as well. So we're always doing zoom calls and not meeting in person or anything like that. So for me, it was uh, like, okay, how do I effectively lead these people and, and manage this team? Um, and so I started, I got on the internet, I started Googling, you know, remote working stuff, you know, all these things. And, and you had a great blog post that, that popped up. And, um, and so I was like, man, this is fantastic. And I got on your YouTube channel and, and watched some of your videos there and just really appreciate that you're out in this space. Um, and I, I'm just hoping that, um, you just get a lot of great traction and success, um, with all that you're doing, but I really want to hear about how you got to where you are. Uh, I know you've written several books, um, not just on remote working. Um, but I would just kind of love to hear your journey of, um, I'm assuming you grew up in Oklahoma and, and, um, 
you know, kind of went to school? And then did you say, I want to be an author? I mean, how, how did you get to where you are? Yeah. So I didn't actually, I grew up, I was born in Philadelphia. Uh, I grew up outside of Boston for a time. Um, I still on the playgrounds of Philadelphia, right? Where I spent most of my days. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I still cheer mostly Philly sports teams, which has been dreadful. Um, a terrible, terrible decision. Um, but, uh, I, I moved, I moved out here to, I went to grad school at the university of Oklahoma, uh, boomer sooner. I needed a good football team to make up for, you know, all of that. The Eagles. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Although, you know, we did, we do have a Super Bowl championship. That's right. And now, Let it fly. now we have basically no one that helped us win that championship <laughs> on the team anymore because great management or whatever. And anyway, um, I, I was actually one of those weird examples. You know, I, I taught, I was a full-time business school professor for 10 years. And then you start writing books and people go, oh, you know, it's so great that you're branching out from academia. Actually, the goal was always to be a writer, right? The, the goal, I went to undergrad university to study English and creative writing. Um, while I was there, when, you, when you're 18, 19 years old, you think writing is fiction. So your grand existential crisis is like, do I want to be Jack Kerouac or James Patterson, <laughs> right? Do I want to be like the literary brilliant but poor? Or do I want to, you know, cash out and like write the same novel 27 times and but have people read it, like, like snatch it up like candy, right? What do I want to do? Make movies of it, yeah. Right, precisely. And so, you know, uh, in that time, I one of the part of the curriculum was taking classes in narrative nonfiction and long form journalism and that sort of thing. And I, I found a lot of really early science writers. The Tipping Point uh, from Malcolm Gladwell came out when I was still an undergrad. But then there were there's these anthologies. Ironically, I'm published by the same company that publishes the Best American Blank Writing anthologies, and one of them is Best American Science Writing. And that was just fascinating to me, right? So here are these people, if you look at the Gladwells of the world or these other people writing about particularly psychology, they're helping people live better lives, helping people do better work, all of that sort of stuff. They're using storytelling techniques to do it. I know that because I just got a degree in that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't starve, which is a plus, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So um, I, I graduated out saying that's that's what I want to do. That's what I want to to write. And so um, I also I had a couple of other things that happened there. If we want to get personal, I also met a girl. She wanted to go to medical school. Uh, I, I was like, hey, this is this is a good deal. Like she wanted to get married and go to medical school. So it's like, hey, this is this is not a bad deal. This might support my writing habit. You have a Friday habit. I have a writing habit. Uh, mine is much <laughs> and more a costly sugar mama, than yours. right? <laughs> so. Um, so she started medical school and I went into grad school to study organizational psychology with that idea of blending these two things. Um, I was actually working remotely. I was working in, in sales for what wouldn't have been called remote at that time because every sales organization just called it outside sales. But in reality, right. it was a primarily remote organization. The closest physical office to me was at least four hours drive away, right? And I saw my boss maybe once every eight weeks, right? And this was before the invention of the iPhone, right? This was before FaceTime. Yeah. This was when Skype was audio only and it was still terrible. I mean, it's terrible now, <laughs> like it was, it was always terrible. Yeah. So, so, but you so, had to email through Yahoo or Hotmail and T9 right. text. Dude, I still have my Hotmail. What's what's up? Come on. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and and cashiers, when they're like, do you want to save 10% by joining our email? Still look at me weird because they know what I'm doing when I give them the Hotmail email. Yeah, address, it's like, this right? is my this is my spam email. This is exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, 
but anyway, so, so graduated out into that. And, and the goal was always to sort of write these books that were the intersection of psychology and, uh, and business that were, I used to say that I'm trying to get good ideas out of the ivory tower and into the corner office. Um, and then really when it came to the first book, which is all around creativity and innovation and the misconceptions about how it works, right? The way that people in an agency, for example, talk about it versus the way that people who work for just, you know, nameless, faceless corporation talk about it is a lot of the difference between who actually gets to tap in and flex their creative muscle and tap into their genius and who doesn't, right? The stories mm -hmm. that we tell ourselves are true, even when they're not true. And so the miss of creativity was really about telling a better story so that you and your team can be more creative. And that was the beginning of really drilling down into teams. And so the, the thing that the line that I use now is that all of my writing, the through line through all of it is I'm trying to use insights from the world of psychology to help teams do their best work ever. And Obviously, we, the great work from home experiment started uh, in March of last year, roughly. And uh, obviously, that's the number one pressing priority. So over the past most of 2020, that was what I was focused on is, is answering that question for a lot of leaders and a lot of teams is how can we do that work when we're not together? How can we still do our best work? Yeah. So what what are the the th books you've written so far? What, what books? What books? Do you have three books out? Four books? So I have four and a half, and I'll explain that in a, in a okay. second. So uh, the, mis the Missive Creativity was the first one. That's, again, around the misconceptions and what the, the science says about how the creative process works. Um, that was followed up by a book called Under New Management, which was about looking at a lot of different management trends and people policy trends and trying to tease out what are fads and what actually have some science behind them that will help. So we looked at everything from... Uh, salary transparency inside an organization and what happens when everybody knows what everybody gets paid, which is uh, something I get the most hate mail about. Um, and and we, we looked at open offices. We, I actually, back in 2016, was the one sort of sounding the alarm, like, guys, these are a terrible idea. These are stressing a lot of people out. Um, you might want to think about building in some spaces where people can have privacy when they, when they want to. Um, so all of that was in under new management. And followed that up with a book that was sort of a right turn, but in my mind, it always fits. I'm not sure readers agree with me about this, um, but I wrote a book called Friend of a Friend, which was a networking book kind of attacking other networking books because they were devoid of science. So the idea here was that people mm. don't need to learn how to give an elevator pitch or, you know, how to how to shake hands and work a room what they need to know is how networks work. The industry that you're in is a social network and you need to understand it to figure out what you're lacking and where you want to go. So it was a book that was teaching what we've learned from uh, network science, the people who study these massive networks and find things in common so that you could put it together. The second half of that book dealt with the organizational network. So whether or not your team is going to be in an echo chamber or feels too siloed and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then the half was in 2019 and then into 2020, I did this great project with Audible about purpose and how you declare what your company's purpose is. This is probably one of the articles you found, mm -hmm. um, but that book, that was called Pick a Fight. It was about a two hour audio program designed to just help you take whatever mission statement you have for a company and really outline it as a cause worth fighting for something, something bigger than yourself, something worth um, really the act of being a part of your company makes the world a better place. The line I use all the time to describe that is people don't want to join a company. They want to join a crusade. And so you need to show them what they're fighting for. We launched that February 25th, 2020, and it, it, it had some great success for about two and a half weeks. And then the world ended and everyone's commutes ended and no one bought audiobooks. <laughs> and so that's why I say I wrote 
four and a half books is we launched that project and I thought I was going to spend all of 2020 talking mm. about that and even 2021 talking about that. But it became really apparent by you know late March that the world doesn't need that right now. It does mm -hmm. need it, right? But yeah. what the world needs right now is to figure out how do we thrive in this totally, this remote environment that we didn't choose, that we had thrust upon us, how do we survive? And so that was leading from anywhere, which you could call five or you could call it you know four and a half, yeah. the half being that pick a fight. What the world needs <laughs> now. <laughs> hey, uh, so I just have a question about writing a book and and you know kind of being a professional author. Um, when you had your site set out, did you already have somebody who was like, oh, I'm going to give you a book deal? Or did you write your first, first book and then like every author kind of try to pitch that? Or do you have like an agent or how does that work? Yeah. So in the, in the nonfiction publishing world, so fiction's a whole different beast than you usually write, yeah. unless you're James Patterson, you usually write the whole novel first, right? Right. Um, but in the, in the nonfiction world, you, the, the fir actually the first thing you do is you build a platform, right? So you write articles for lots of different sites. I started a podcast in 2010, um, back when it was really, really difficult to start one because you had to like, I used a conference call line to record like freeconferencecall.com to record the conversation and then edited it in like garage band, like early sucky garage band. Solid. And then, yeah. and then manually uploaded it through. Do you guys remember this? I manually uploaded yeah. it to my website through CyberDuck. Do you remember CyberDuck? Yep. Oh, yeah. Right? And, and then, FeedBurner and, then, and, you know, the RSS right. feed. Exa yeah. Exactly. All of that <laughs> stuff. So the, the cool thing is if you could figure that out, it was like a blue ocean, right? Because there was, yeah. I always say we were a, we were a top 50 business podcast. There were yeah. 47 podcasts in iTunes when we got started. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so it started that as a means to sort of build out this platform. Then when you have the idea, you usually go looking for an agent, or in my case, one actually came to me based on the, the platform, which was quite cool. And together, you write a proposal. And a, a proposal is almost, it's more like a business plan than it is a book, right? It is, here's the idea, but also here's who I am. Here's how I'm going to market it. Here are some uh, some chapters. So I wrote probably two chapters of that first book to give you an idea of my writing style. But it was much more, again, like a business plan for here's this product we're going to launch uh, and, and what we need from you and all of that sort of stuff. And then if you're lucky, publishers bid on it. If you're, if you're, if you're super lucky, I should say, publishers bid on it. If you're lucky, publishers make an author. If you're like most, you get feedback from all the rejections and you refine <laughs> the proposal yeah. and you start again. Um, in our case on that first book, we had two, I think, bid for it. And I still wonder if I picked the right one. But anyway, you, you, <laughs> you, 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 pick, you pick the publisher and then you start working with them on writing it. And, and editors, acquisitions editors really are actually sort of hands on about how the book is structured and, okay. um, and provide a decent amount of feedback through what's called developmental edits. So the book, it almost never looks like it did when you pitched it. Um, even even to big things like the title, like of all of the books, only one of them has the same title as what was in the original proposal. Everything else sort of changes as you move forward. Yeah. So when you got that first deal, I mean, were you just so over the moon, like excited, like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be a published author? Like, oh, yeah, of course. Right. Like and it's yeah. all, and it's it's one of those things 
when you first get that contract, it's like it's like talking to people who went to Harvard, right? How do you know somebody went to Harvard? They tell you in the first five minutes of conversation, <laughs> yeah. right? It was sort of that same deal. Like for the for the next month, all you're doing is looking for ways to drop into the conversation <laughs> that you got my your book deal. How can right. I squeeze in there? Like, yeah, I'm a writer. It's what I do. I'm a, you know. Yeah, no, it, and it's it's the most irrelevant stuff, right? Like, it's like, hey, I have this rash. What do you think I should go see the doctor? And you're like, well, you know, when I was talking to my editor of the book deal I just got, and you, like, it's nothing to do with anything. Yeah, man, that's that's and and obviously you're you're not a stranger to writing because having to go through that much school that you went through, I'm sure you had to write a ton. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fair. I don't, and you know what's, so what's funny, I'll tell you this, I wrote a ton of stuff and I have none of it because, uh, so Missive Creativity came out. I got invited to speak at South by Southwest the following year. And I still remember this. I was late night, the night before the presentation, still sort of working on my slides. And I knocked over a Dr. Pepper on my solid state drive MacBook Air and fried the entire computer. Now I'm smart. I had like important stuff backed up in Dropbox, but like nothing from my academic career was was in Dropbox. Oh, so people are like, man. "Oh, I'd really love to read your dissertation." I'm like you can't. It's uh, it's covered in Dr. Pepper. All right, we're going to pause the conversation right there because it continues to be packed with value. Uh, Value bombs are dropped all over the place. So make sure if you're not subscribed to The Friday Habit, make sure to subscribe. That really helps us get the word out, reach more people. um, And it allows you to get notified when new episodes are released. So make sure to go and subscribe. And we will continue this conversation next week.